Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC. We had UFC Fight Night this past Saturday. We got UFC 250 coming up in just a matter of weeks. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go, my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital B. BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. Back to baseball today. We got another broadcaster on the show today talking uh, some broadcasting tips with Seattle Mariners play by play voice on Root Sports, Dave Sims. Dave is also the radio play by play man for Sunday afternoon football on Westwood One. Also, the co host of Basketball and Beyond with Coach K on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. He did uh, radio play by play for the Knicks back in the late 80s and early 90s. A ton of experience in the sports broadcasting business as again we're going to talk a little baseball today as baseball looks to start their season soon maybe maybe not it doesn't look like the players and uh, the players association as well as the owners and uh, Rob Manfred are quite on the same page I mean the growing expectation was that the players association is not going to deliver a financial response to Major League Baseball's initial proposal in time to reach that according uh, before you know Monday's uh, soft, if you will, June 1st deadline to restart the game by July 1st, July 4th, you know, Independence Day weekend. Um, I mean, there's so many questions that go into this because obviously they're not on the same page when it comes to taking pay cuts. MLB wants players to take a, a 70% pay cut. Uh, I mean, does this deadline really matter? I mean, not really. The, the general feeling has been that the sides have until next weekend, maybe a day or two more to reach an agreement that would allow teams to gather by the weekend of June 12th through the 14th and have those three weeks of spring training 2.0 and then start the season on July 3rd. Um, uh, I mean, the deadline is next weekend, kind of, sort of, maybe not. I mean, the best outcome for the game is to renew the national pastime on Independence Day weekend, but there's no rule that it must start then. I mean, for example... It could start August 1st with a regular season extended through October in a postseason, perhaps, you know, at neutral sites played in November. But then again, Major League Baseball has cautioned that cooler weather could just bring a stronger wave of the coronavirus, kind of jeopardizing the postseason when owners make their largest outlay from a national TV perspective. Also, there, there's a lot of concerns about national TV partners having scheduling uh, openings in November that already are aside for October. I mean, why wouldn't it get done this week, though? Like, I mean, maybe it will. I mean, a fruitful 24 to 48 hours would change everything. But but the sides are fighting strictly about money. And the relationship is, it's just bathed in distrust at this point. I mean, especially from the players toward the owners. Owners kind of want the players who already know that they're going to lose their salaries for games not playing 2020 to take another financial haircut from, you know, their poor rated salaries, which would be a total of around a whopping 800 million big ones. And the owners say that they need this reduction because of lack of revenues from not having paying spectators. I mean, it's all about the money. I mean, from the reporters that I've talked to about this, it, it seems like both sides still feel for the good of the game, like that a deal is going to get done. But 
No one puts it at 100%. In fact, many put it at quite, quite less than that. I mean, beyond the money, the biggest reason is divisions on both sides. There are owners who would just as soon not pay already, and that number will grow if their calculation, if, if they have to lose even more to stage games. There are players and agents who believe that the March 26th agreement did, as MLB states, necessitate a new negotiation over salaries if games were played without uh, paying customers versus the union's stated position that the March 26th deal said that players will be played their prorated salaries for uh, games played, period. Thus, this is not just a, a fight against each other. I mean, infighting on both sides is not new, but the levels are high and the environment uh, its quite unique, producing quite a lot of internal tension on both sides. And the extra soap opera layer is what's creating doubt as much as anything. Uh, I mean, there's always a solution here. Un understand that a lot goes on below the surface that are not formal bargaining sessions. I mean, for example, um, subcommittees for both sides are in regular contact discussing, you know, health, safety protocols and rules like the designated hitter, expanding playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and despite the rhetoric, I mean... I've, I've yet to see or hear anyone privately say issues from both uh, areas or arenas, both sides, if you will, it, they're, they're going to put together a deal. I mean, perhaps momentum will come of especially agreements on how to return the game safely since it bonds the owners and players versus the virus. Also, there, there could be moderating uh, voices, uh, what you, you tend to hear publicly or firebrands. But, you know, again, for example... The, the Players Association has been in steady dialogue with its members and has forever stated that the players run the union, not the union staff. Thus, the, the percentage of players who are willing to give on a full prorated salaries will, it's going to be vital. I mean, is it 5%, 55%? I mean, nobody knows. Conversely, no person would take a greater historic hit than Commissioner Rob Manfred if there is no Major League Baseball this year, particularly if every other sports league gets going within the pandemic. I mean, perhaps uh, Tony Clark, who's the executive director for the Players Union, his job is more immediately in uh, uh, peril de dependent on the resolution. Another external pressure point, by the way, but Rob Manfred's reputation could be sealed in the next week or two, and, and that should be a pressure point toward a deal because commissioners are always thinking about legacy. So, I mean, how does a deal get done? I mean, the sense received by both sides is to find a way not to be trapped by just 2020 pay. I mean, Rob Manfred is going to need to convince, I mean, hawkish owners to, to budge more because whatever financial hardship is endured this year will be made so much worse in the sport plays uh, 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 no meaningful games for 18 months. I mean, think. Save $1 today, lose $5 tomorrow. I mean, the players should, yes, try to make as much as possible this year, but the next couple of markets will look bleak, especially for arbitration-eligible players and free agents, no matter what. I mean, thus, any safety guards to, to the system that can be applied for 2021 and 2022 to help players with compensation, such as a higher minimum wage, no luxury tax penalties, etc., I mean, that should be extracted. I mean, I'm not playing this year if governmental and uh, uh, medical officials provide their blessings. I mean, this would clobber the reputations of the institution and individuals in it, plus damage uh, earning power and perhaps franchise value. I mean, imagine not rising 
to the common good amid a, a, a pandemic such as COVID-19 and expecting your fan base to just be waiting for you anyway when spring training opens in February 2021. I mean, it leads uh, to the big question that Rob Manfred is going to have to answer. And that, I mean, will those strong external pressures motivate a deal? I mean, probably, but there are real bad feelings in the league right now. I mean, historic hate and other hurdles making it less than a sure thing at this point. So we'll see what happens. Uh, went on a bit of a rant there. That's my MLB talk for the week. Let's get in to this interview again with Seattle Mariners play-by-play voice on Root Sports, Dave Sims. And again, I was uh, very generous of Dave to take time out of his day to talk to me for about a half hour or so, talking about his career uh, with the Knicks, with the Mariners now, as well as on Sirius XM and with Westwood One. So let's get into it here on episode 2001, presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter and Instagram, the IG using at Belly Up Sports. And head on over to TickPick.com when you can. Use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your next order using TickPick. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping aids, head on over to MechaNutritionStore.com right now by using the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order. Dave Sims on the OSHO right now. catching up with people, doing my own podcast with Boog Shambi, uh, announcers on, which is available yeah. on, uh, available on uh, YouTube and Spotify. And then, uh, you know, doing spots with, you know, guys like you and, and guys I know, you know, other uh, pros in the business who who, uh, who have started some podcasts. I mean, I think I've hit almost every area of the country. They want Sacramento, Hartford, uh, what was it, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina. Wow been all over the place. Wow. And, and again, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Again, aspiring sports uh, journalism and broadcast student. I kind of wanted to uh, uh, pick your brain about when you got that itch starting in sports journalism and broadcasting, because again, you did play uh, in college as an athlete. You played football. Like, When did you get that itch to pursue the sports journalism and broadcasting side of things? Uh, I know I wanted to do this in high school, yeah. and um, yeah, I played, I was was it, I had a, let's see, four years in high school, four years baseball, lettered four times in baseball, three in football, two in basketball, one in football in college, I played one year, and I, and I knew halfway through the year, I said, this is not going to work. You're right. And I had a good year, but I just wasn't, I just, you know, you got to have the flame and the, the passion right. in football. And once that got, and that flame and passion was, you know, turned towards broadcasting and writing, and, and I threw myself into that, and, you know, life-changing internship at the Philadelphia Inquirer. got a chance to get a byline the first pick. I think I was there four days and I had a byline. And, um, you know, from there, you know, newspaper career for seven years, and then, but always with an eye on broadcasting and sports anchoring, which I got a chance to do, but I always wanted to do play-by-play, and I, I've yeah. been blessed over the years. 
And, of course, you started your uh, career as a sports writer with the New York Daily News. What, what was that whole experience like at the time in that New York City market, uh, working as a writer on the radio as well as with the Knicks? Well, during, those, uh, during that time, when I got here in 1975, uh, there was a big financial uh, – it wasn't a crash, but it might as well have been. I remember the, the great headline we had at the Daily News, Ford to City Drop Dead. Wow. The city was in all kinds of problems. I was like, geez, just a dream job. I get to New York, and now this is, you know, the city's about to go under. But as it always does, it recovers. And it, you know, it was in the mid-'70s, you know, the Steinberg Yankees, the Mets weren't very good. Right. The Knicks weren't very good. Uh, St. John's basketball was good. That St. John's baseball was good. And the Nets had moved from, what, they had moved from Jersey to the island back to Jersey. So uh, there was a lot of things going on, and, and then the Yankees got good in the latter part of the decade, and they had a good run in 76, 7, and 8. So it, I, had a, I had a blast. I, yeah. I learned a lot. It was like getting a, getting a postgraduate degree. And like you were talking about earlier, alluding to earlier, announcers on podcast um, with Boogie, of course, you were talking about, I was listening to episode one a few days ago, talking about uh, chasing down Joe DiMaggio down the street about uh, interviewing him for a question, because again, uh, your dad grew up a big fan, you grew up a big fan, Joe DiMaggio, because it was like right after uh, Mickey Mantle had passed, right? Yeah, 96, I was at Channel 2, I must have seen him three, four times and tried to grab him, I finally got him in the catacombs of old Yankee Stadium, you're a mile, you're a persistent young man. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember much after that. I, you know, threw a couple questions out, and, and that was it. I mean, it was I needed like thirty seconds sound bite to get back and have a chance for a long chit chat or anything. And I think it was probably right before the five or six o'clock news. Oh, I, I would love to see that that clip and the B roll of that. Um, it, 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 yeah. It's out Pluto by now. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would get a kick out watching that. Right oh, that's awesome. And then I, I was scrolling through your Instagram. You actually uh, uh, got your little cameo there in the Last Dance documentary when you were with the radio with the Knicks. Yeah, it was sort of a wraparound <laughs> show. Uh, I was in a pre-half and post. And that was that picture. It was funny. You were watching, it's, I don't know, episode one or two. Yeah. And they were telling me, yeah, Michael's first game at Madison Square Garden. I said, I told myself, I was watching with my son. I said, I, I think you're going to see me here at some point. And, you know, the camera swings by the bench at one point, and I saw I caught a glimpse. It was maybe a nanosecond. And then I said, wait a minute, if this camera, and then as they're going to halftime, uh, I said, I probably will show up walking right behind Doug Collins. And as soon as I said it, there I was. So wow. I a screenshot of that. I said, hey, I'm in the last <laughs> Most critically acclaimed uh, documentary out there, obviously, right now. And obviously, growing up, you were in radio first, talk shows as well, uh, now in TV. In your own experience, which broadcast do you prefer if you prefer one or the other, radio or TV? Hey, man, it's a, it's a job. You know, All right. it's, it's, it's a great gig. Uh, you take what, what you have at the time. You know, I always wanted to do TV and radio play-by-play. Play. I'm getting to do it now. Uh, I've had, I, you know, I, I don't even look at it like that. Yeah. I always say, it's like, which, you know, which parent do you, you know, it's like, what kid do you, your children do you like more? And they're both great, and I, I've been super lucky to be able to do, I've, I mean, I've hit everything on my punch list pretty much. And what do you think the biggest difference was, like, in your game prep or just a prep in general for whether it was broadcasting a game or on the radio doing talk shows or even in an anchor position? Well, you got to pay attention. You got to right. you know, hopefully, you know, you hopefully talk to people and, and read as many, you know, uh, 
read as many outlets and watch as much as possible. The best, but the best, of course, is to is contact uh, in person or on phone with uh, whoever, you know, whoever your subjects are. And, I mean, that, that preparation doesn't change. Yeah. It's just how you deliver it. Anchoring is one. I mean, there's three different uh, uh, disciplines there. Anchoring, right. radio play-by-play, and TV play-by-play. Uh, so, again, been lucky to do them all. It's... Um, you know, on, on when you're anchoring, it's it's a quick blast, and that you know, ESPN has pretty much has dominated, you know, its own scores and highlights. So you got to do, you know, features uh, for my money. You know, give the headlines, couple scores, blah blah blah. And if you can do a human interest piece for ninety seconds, that's always great. Well, and then of course, baseball, college basketball, football, like completely different. Uh, ball games when you're talking about broadcast obviously your game prep has had to evolve over the years baseball almost every day you get the feel for things a lot easier because you're there every day but for a college basketball game or even a football game how do you prepare with your color analyst and even with the guys in the truck before the game like what's the whole um kind of ritual there well when i was there was when let's say i want to say from like 98 to 07, I was doing Big East football on Saturday and NFL on Sunday. So I would, first thing Monday morning, I would get up and put my board, you know, it's a lot, well, it's not, it, it's a lot easier now because of the internet. But back in those days, uh, we did have the internet, but they weren't as great, as good as they are now as posting all their information, talking about the schools. Yeah. So the biggest thing I wanted to do was get started and get forged out and, and learning names and numbers. And then after that, generally, uh, for, for when we were doing Big East, we'd talk to the, uh, at Saturday's visiting team on a Wednesday or Thursday morning or afternoon, depending on the schedule, the coach's schedule. And then Friday morning, we'd be on site and visit the home team coach, and they'd go to practice. And then we'd have a production meeting slash dinner on Saturday night. For football, for, and then and while I was doing all that, I'd also be putting together my boards and stats and whatnot yeah. for the NFL game I was doing on Sunday. And then, you know, I'd get there Saturday. I would get, do the game Saturday. It was always pretty much, yeah, you know, it was always a 12 noon start, which gave me an opportunity to get to most airports. And that was at, at worst mid city uh, airports. And I could get to anywhere in the country for an NFL game. I know the one you said, you know, the Raiders, with, last time they went to the Super Bowl, they were really good. And I think I, I must have flown to Oakland six times. Wow. And um, uh, so, so the, uh, in terms of preparation, I you know, talked to my partner. Usually we'd have dinner, you know, dinner slash production meeting, uh, do it again at breakfast. And then, well, one o'clock game, we'd probably get there no worse than 10 o'clock. And, you know, go down in the, you know, do your setup in the booth, get your booth all set up. And then um, go down to the field and try to grab a couple of players and coaches. And uh, just it's amazing how many how much information you can pick up. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? How's the week? Blah blah blah. And yeah. you know, you get some stuff to work into the, into the uh, radio broadcast. Right. You don't have as much time on radio because the premium is on to describe what the hell's going on. Exactly. And then how often is your producer, I, I, I'm going to assume maybe not as much, only like when you absolutely need to, and of course when you talk back, but how often is your producer and director in your ear throughout a broadcast? Oh, it's just part of the business. It's, yeah. You're know, uh, reacting to stuff, you know, the producer, you know, they'll tell you, hey, we got this shot coming up, or they'll ask you, what do you see, or, you know, if you have any, it's such a, it's such a team-oriented thing, you know, I might see something that, 
know, we might have 15 cameras, but you're not going to have everything. You know, have everything. And I might see somebody in the crowd or see a celebrity in the crowd. Hey, down first base side, you got so and so. And uh, the director will sometimes will say, "Hey, listen, uh, whatever the situation is, I'm going to give you a shot at the starter who just got taken out. Then I'm going to kind of come back with a shot." of uh, the reliever coming in. You know, this would be a conversation you have during a break. And then we'll roll a graphic, then we'll roll a stat thing. And then you just, you know, you just do it. And, wow. You know, when you first when you first start out, it's a little discombobulating when you're, you're trying to, you know, you got your train of thought, and you're trying to go down one one lane, and here comes this cross traffic coming in. And you got to, you know, you, you just, it's difficult to prepare for. You just have to, it's one of those things you have to live it. Yeah. And get used to it. You can have to carry on entire conversations with uh, doing interviews and, and 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 listen to you know here's where we're going from uh, the producer and director. The good ones don't blow you away; they just give you the simple stuff. Right. And and the other one, our guy Curtis Wilson does a really good job. Like sometimes in the open, in the open in the show open when the pregame host tosses. Uh, we have a, a, a shot sheet underneath the camera lens for a lot of, you know, we'll say, all right, Felix pitching. And I'll say, yeah, Mike, and, you know, Felix Hernandez, da, 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 da. and then he'll say, all right, you know, their, their pitcher, he'll, you know, just alert you. That way I don't have to be looking down at the uh, at the sheet. So there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. I mean, we could be here, all, we could be here for a week breaking all that stuff. <laughs> and obviously you said that. Uh, broadcasting, you want to do it since you were uh, a kid, even when you were playing. Who would you say was your biggest mentor or someone that you kind of idolized growing up in the broadcast business? Uh, again, we don't have enough time to do <laughs> Growing up in Philly, uh, I would say yeah, Bill Campbell was a big, uh, was a huge influence. I mean, his energy, his passion when he was going to the Eagles and then he did the, the Phillies and then the Sixers. Jack Whitaker was in Philly at that time. And then nationally, you know, Pat Summerall, Dick Emberg, Vince Scully. Yeah. Got to work with Charlie Jones. Um, I mean, there's so many guys. Lindsey Nelson was a big influence. Kurt Gowdy. Uh, Bob Wolf, I worked personally with him. I worked personally with um, with uh, the great Marty Glickman, who was, like, the coach of all coaches when it comes to uh, broadcast in terms of techniques and whatnot for radio and TV. He was the best. And he, of course, was uh, you know, Syracuse, a guy from, you know, from right here in the city with the Syracuse. Pretty much the first jock turned play-by-play announcer in the, in the industry yeah. coming out of uh, Syracuse in the late 30s. And he had just a fabulous career in New York, voice of the Knicks, voice of the Giants, did uh, voiceovers on uh, newsreels, I mean, and just a great man on top of all that. Well, and of course, guys like you mentioned, Vince Scully, uh, even the Harry Callis's, the Harry Carries of the world. How how important do you think it is? Maybe not necessarily important, but how much of a separator is it to have those personal traits, have your own personal uh, personality displayed on the air uh, during games when it comes to just personality or even adding some catchphrases? Well, you you, you can't be somebody else. You got to be right. yourself, and you know whatever. You know, idioms that you use or that whatever catchphrases, I mean, it's preferred that it's, it's advisable not to be stealing anybody else's stuff. Right. Uh, and you can make der- uh, you know, der- 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 derivations off of, off of maybe some things guys do. 
the, the key thing is just be yourself. I mean, you can't, you know, you got a game to call. You don't have time to figure out like, you're trying to be somebody else's personality. Right. And on the topic of that, and we even talked about it before we started recording some tips for a young broadcaster like myself. From what you've seen, um, what what are some of the biggest mistakes young broadcasters like myself make today, whether it's on-air stuff or even like behind-the-scenes stuff on social media, for example? Uh, I would say probably the biggest thing when you're doing an interview, you got to ask one question at a time. Don't ask multi-part questions. Listen for an answer because because if you start to go down the list of questions that you have, you'll leave a whole other part of the interview right out there in the ether because a lot of times in answers you'll get lead-ins to other avenues to explore. Um, social media, don't be stupid. Right. Uh, I mean, every it's, it, you know, you're basically we're all a brand, and that's what that's all about. I wasn't going to do it. That's what my wife told me. She said, "You know, you're a brand." And, you know, use it, make it happen, and make it work for yourself. And it, it's, you know, if you do it, if you do it right, it, it can be, you know, a big, big plus for you. And the other thing, you know, be, be, be accepting uh, critical analysis, uh, do your homework, you're going to get knocked down, pick yourself up, you know, more, you know, you're going to get knocked down, you mourn for five minutes, and then you move on to the next Right. Yeah, those you know, and it, it it'll happen, and it just it's just not going to happen at the snap of your fingers. And the other thing too, now I mean, it's it was competitive when I was coming up. I mean, it's off the chart competitive now. So you got to really uh, you got to really be you got to really sharpen up. And it was interesting. We last week we had Adam Amin on who just took the ESPN to Fox and would be doing the Bulls, and he said something that I've been crawling about for the longest time, and it's regret I had. That I didn't get involved with the theater department because, you know, every everybody thinks they can, you know, go just show off and be a broadcaster. But you know, a lot of it in terms of you got to have poise, self confidence. Yeah. You, know, you walk into a room and own it. You got to be able to speak well. You got to be able to think on your feet, and 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 also take take coaching. And that's being a jockey. That's been very helpful for me. And and Adam said that you know he he was musically trained. He, he's saying from anywhere from a tenor to bass. Wow. Playing a violin, he can play the trumpet, and, and he could go out and do, you know, something from Hamlet. And I said, dude, that is so spot on. Because <laughs> when you listen to him, you, you can hear and see the poise, feel it, that good command of his voice, his, his range is terrific. And, and uh, so I, I told him, I said, I've been espousing that for the longest time, and it's nice to hear somebody who actually did it. Wow. And what about for you in that sense, kind of taking other things from your personality, other in- interests, and kind of uh, bringing it to the broadcast? <laughs> just, uh, just be me. I'm not <laughs> about it. Just not that thing about it. You just got to be yourself. Um, uh, you have your license just like that. You know, I, it, 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 it happens. I mean, there's nothing that anybody can really tell you or anything that you can read in a book. And, you know, so much of... What I have gleaned in my, my career has been, you know, failure, okay, that's not going to happen again, boom, improvement. And, and that's the, probably one of the best ways to learn. Nobody's going to hand this thing, hand it to you right. in a silver platter, not even close. And now that, and the other thing, too, that's really interesting, the dynamic that wasn't quite as prevalent when I was coming up, but, you know, women are getting a, a greater opportunity than ever before. Right. And probably play by play will be the next uh, 
let's hope that they uh, climb, uh, climb to the top of before long. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost, you know, the industry is such now that you think a sideline reporter, nine out, it seems like nine out of ten of them are women. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying this disparagingly, I'm just saying this as a matter of fact. Right. Uh, and then you're starting to get some, you know, you'll start to see some more, you know, play by play. It's not a lot. There's probably, they're doing regional sports networks or nationally or, or with teams. It might, it might only be major league teams. It might only be 10 of them filling that bill right now, but that number's going to grow. Right. And, of course, I'm working with – we have a group of six broadcasters at our school right now, four of which are women who do, do play-by-play. Um, and, of course, kind of building that chemistry on the air. Sometimes we make mistakes, and obviously in college that's the time to make mistakes. I wanted to ask you – Don't freak out when you yeah. make a mistake. I mean, I've made a couple of doozies myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, have you had any, like, really bad blunders on the air that you can recall? Uh, I just yeah, – I had a, I, I, doing an interview a couple of I forget, today is what Thursday uh, I did an interview with NBC today's Wednesday I did an interview with uh, NBC Seattle and talked about a home run call that I kicked about more than 2015 but you know I got over it and, and I laugh about it now I don't you know I don't mind talking about it <laughs> anyway it's um, you know it happens you know for you know for every you might for every bad call you're gonna have a hundred great call yeah. that nobody that you know that's just accepted and and uh, and people don't get to pay attention to it. So yeah, and of, of course you've had plenty of great calls. You had uh, you were the first broadcaster ever, right, to call two perfect games in one season in a span of uh, four months. And both of those, yeah, you know, with the PDA has got that. You know, Rick Riz was doing the games on radio too. Yeah, oh, that's, uh, of course. It might be the first ones on, you know, maybe on TV. And I know Mr. Scully's had at least shared no-nos and perspectives, but that that could, I don't, I, I think that probably is correct to perfect those on, on a TV broadcast yeah. on TV in one year. But uh, you know, that's really cool. It's great, but it doesn't get me on the subway. <laughs> right. And for the, both those broadcasts, I kind of wanted to uh, pick your brain about this because one of them was obviously with Root Sports with the Mariners, so you're a Mariners broadcaster, and the other one was with Fox where you're on the national side and you're kind of uh, neutral in a sense, but both games involved the Mariners. So I kind of wanted to ask you about, of course, the Philip Humber perfect game uh, with the White Sox. You're kind of having to call that one down the middle where with the Felix Hernandez perfect game, uh, you can obviously celebrate it c- given you're the Mariners broadcaster on Root Sports. Well, you just answered your own question. <laughs> um, uh, Umber was, that game was telecast into Seattle and Chicago, and then they came to us in the ninth inning, um, uh, full national, because the, the Yankees-Red Sox were uh, the, the main game scene in, what, 98% of the country. Yeah. Uh, and those are two, those are two great, uh, great moments, no question about And it. another, I w- only have a few more questions for, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but uh, when it comes to your experience, whether it's in baseball, you're calling football as well as college basketball now, uh, there's probably a ton, and you've just mentioned there's going to be more great calls than there are bad calls. What, is, what do you think has been your most memorable or unique call up to this point? Oh, heck, I've been <laughs> I mean, uh, I've been something that's with by any stretch. Uh, I mean, memorable, it has to be the Felix Hernandez. Uh, yeah. Because it was our guy, it was in our place. Beautiful getaway day game against uh, Tampa Bay. So I mean, I, that that would that has to be it. And for prior to that, the previous six years, 
was the uh, George Mason upset of Connecticut in the 06 uh, East Regionals in D.C., which, you know, uh, they were prohibitive underdogs. And, and uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a great atmosphere. George Mason ran across the river in uh, Virginia from D.C., good crowd there, full house. And, you know, trip to the Final Four was on the line. And yeah. The game had tremendous ebb and flow. And uh, I got a chance to work with uh, uh, the late, great Dave Gavitt, the father of the Big East. So it, it was, um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That, that was some heavy breathing. It was, uh, it was tremendously exciting. They, uh, Westwood One, we played that during what would have been this year's uh, yeah. March Madness. And it was a kick to, to go back and tune in and listen to it, and especially since it's what, looks like 14 years ago. Wow, and when it comes to big games like that, obviously emotions are running high on both sides. One team's celebrating, obviously the other team is kind of in mourning in a sense. And when it comes to talking to players after those games on both sides, what's the experience like, obviously talking to guys who are celebrating, it's a lot easier than talking to guys who uh, aren't. Have there ever been a situation where you had to interview a losing team or a losing player in a sense of a game of that magnitude? Generally, uh during those games for Westwood One, we'd always have the winning coach and, and uh, whoever the, the key player was on the winning team. Uh, rarely, I don't ever remember having to do um, uh, the losing locker room. I, I know, I think there have been some times where CBS is obviously televising that game, and they usually send somebody into the losing locker room, and sometimes if there's time and if they can get it, we will get that and, you know, re-rack it and run it on our air, but we generally don't know. But, uh, you know, you have something, you have empathy for the, if you do have to do it, you have empathy for the kid, you're not sitting there trying to break his chops or anything. Right. Tell me what happened, you know, what was the turning point, you know, congratulations on a great effort. I mean, again, if your interviewing skills are up to, up to speed, you get through that, it's, it's, it's not heavy lifting, it's a no-brainer. And when you're obviously with the Mariners on a daily basis, kind of building those relationships with guys, um, how difficult or easy was it for you, uh, given, like you mentioned before, everybody's themselves, everybody has their own personalities. How easy or difficult was it for you building relationships with those players? And have you had any uh, uh, run-ins of any sorts that you kind of had to overcome? You just do it. You just go in there and yeah. you know who, who the talkers are, you know who the Who's not? And after you know, when you're around, like in a normal circumstance, I would have been around those guys. Let's say I got to spring training February 19th. We were going to break camp at the 24th. So that's a month and change. And I know most uh, a lot of the guys holdovers from last year. So it's like anything. I mean, do your work. I, I'm in the club, both clubhouses every day. Hey, what do you got? What's going on? How you feeling? What's going on? Would you? What happened in that play last night? That kind of stuff. And it's not, you know, I'm not nuking guys on the air. I mean, I'm a team broadcaster, you know, paid from the same trough as they are. So yeah. I'm not trying to be Woodward Bernstein and trying to do any exposés <laughs> or anything. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you, you talk to people. I mean, you be a human being. It's real simple. It, it, you, know, you, know what, you know, when I talk, so many times kids want to make more of it than, than what it is. And I know I've been doing it for a long time. But it really is just simple. Just... And I always say, just don't be, just don't be a jerk when you, when, right. when you, if you're in a gig like this. If you look at all the guys who are in the broadcast hall of fame, uh, that and guys who have had longevity in the business and a great deal of success, you'll find that all of them are people persons, and all of them have 
uh, the ability to relate to people in any and all kinds of people. Right. And, it really, and, and, and I don't know if they're emphasizing that in colleges these days, but they dang sure should. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's... I mean, you just described it to a T, and obviously you're trying to get back there uh, as soon as possible, I'm, I'm sure, trying to get back in the booth. I mean, the last thing I wanted to ask you before uh, I let you go today was your thoughts on a 2020 season, because obviously there's been multiple different scenarios. Obviously, the latest one would be a July start, but given the agreement with the players, bargaining agreement, I, who knows what's going to happen. What What's your kind of thought on what's going to happen here in the next few weeks, the next few months? Because there there are so many variables from a game perspective, a fan perspective, and even a broadcast perspective. Well, you asked and answered your own question again. <laughs> and there's nothing I can, I'm not yeah. going to speculate on anything. I have no power in this. When they say, when I get the call from Seattle, I say, hey, we need you at, we need you here in Seattle on XYZ date. Boom, I'll be there. Boom, yeah. Flight. It's real simple. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not in the room with these guys. I, I pray they don't screw it up. Uh, I think that you know everybody wants to get back. Uh, health and safety are our primo requirements, and you know, if, you know, the immortal words of Larry the Cable Guy: get her done, get her <laughs> thing done. And hey, I don't care if we play 20, 40, 80 games. Let's play some games and you know, where, you know, where possible, let's follow whatever rules you agree to. But let's just get it done. I mean, and don't. don't it, it just was. It's going to be a terrible look. If they, you know, the squabble gets to a point where they can't even get back on the field and then expect yeah. people to show up and pay big dollars next year, you know, for the 2021 season. They really have to think about that. And, uh, and, and the owners and the players, they can't go around, for my money, it's not an ability to see who can screw who first. You got, let's have some, there's some common goals here. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I kind of look at this, and I talk about this all the time, is kind of those older players, 39, 40 years old, who don't really have much time left, or if they don't think that they have that much time left, this is kind of a wasted year in a sense. Like, there's only so much you can do in your homes. Yeah. What I think doesn't really mean Squadoosh. I mean, when, like I said, when they say, hey, go, it's go time, it's go time. Yeah, I mean, you said it best. Get her done. We'll see if there is a 2020 season. Seattle Mariners and Root Sports Voice. Dave Sims on the show today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I hope everybody is safe and healthy on your side as we get through this, again, kind of wild time. It's never happened before. Yeah, you bet, Jack. Thanks, man. Good luck. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.